Hello and welcome to Season 4. It's a podcast that seeks to encourage and inspire you on your journey. Well, it is an absolute joy to be with you again. So look, we are just about to go into an interview with Andy Lester, who is from a Russia. And you'll get to hear more about that. And um, we are covering the whole subject of climate and what is our role and responsibility with that? And more importantly, what is ours to do? How can we get involved? How can we encourage others to be part of this? It's a really interesting conversation that gives us an idea of what faith and climate all have in terms of uh, their their relationship. So anyway, let's go straight into this fantastic conversation and go from there. Well, we are with my next guest and uh, it is with great delight that we have Andy Lester with us. And he's actually from a charity called A Russia which sounds a bit odd, doesn't it? Why have they got the A at the beginning? But no doubt he'll tell <laughs> me about it. Um, and um, I've known about A Russia for, for decades and they are the, the pioneers in, they were pioneering uh, about environment, about climate, about the, the planet, looking after the planet before it became really cool. I think that probably is the the, the the truth of it. I know, you know, we've been kicking this ball around at greenhouse gases and now it's climate change and all of those bits and pieces. But they have been um, pioneering in this space, asking the question, what is ours to do and how can we encourage others to get involved? And I thought it'd be really helpful for our listeners just to really get a good insight. We are, you know, we see the temperatures are going crazy. We see the water, we see um all sorts of things happening you know uh, there's a, a latest thing at the moment about um on the bbc with david attenborough about the fact that um just by the fact that there's a bunch of birds that now migrate and are nesting here in the uk but have only been here for the past 10 years because the climate has changed that much now you might be wondering well what's that got to do with my faith well that's exactly why we're here to find out exactly mm. what has that got to do with anything and our faith there you go. How's that for an intro? Fantastic. <laughs> so, Andy, um, we have not met. I know about a-, a Russia. Tell the world who you are, all your lovely credentials and bits and pieces, where you're based, and um, let's go down this rabbit hole. Yeah, great. Thanks, Matt. Is, is it Matthew or Matt, which you prefer? Oh, you can call me Matt. Everyone knows right. me as Matt. Matt it is. Very good. Um, so I'm Andy and I'm the head of conservation for Arosha UK and Arosha is an interesting, it's like a lot of charities where there's an umbrella organization called Arosha International uh-huh. and that's where Arosha started, uh, out in Portugal, um, oh. yeah, okay. over 30 years ago now. So it was started by Peter and Miranda Harris, um, and the name Arosha is Portuguese and it literally means the rock. Uh, and rather than having any specific biblical connotations, the name came from the first place, first field study centre, which was built on a headland called Arosha in the Algarve in, in southern Portugal. Wow. So that's where it gets its name from. It's a Portuguese name for the rock, but it's appropriate given the the season that we're in and yeah. the fact that we need to build ourselves on a rock at the moment. Now, Arosha UK um, has been going slightly less time, but... Mm-hmm. We started off 
with a green flag park in West London, Minet Country Park, mm-hmm. which is our first big project, which Arosha UK was set up to transform in West London. Uh, and it was a, a space where drugs were dealt and cars were burnt out and people stole things and dumped them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's now a, a multi-purpose green flag park. And so that was the sort of beginning of the journey of Arosha UK. I've been working with Arosha now for over 12 years, okay. which is the longest I've ever been in any space. Wow. Um, but for me, it's it's mission. It is all about uh, being Christ's hands and feet in this space. Um, it's something I'm absolutely passionate about. So my background is in environmental management, first degree at London, then followed up with a degree in global leadership and the green economy at Bournemouth. Mm-hmm. Um, and then moved out of the environment sector. I had quite a period in in business development, business management, mm-hmm. went back into the environment as, and worked in development at Marwell Zoo near Winchester. Nice. I got to see rhinos every morning for a few years, which was enormous fun. Yeah. Uh, but have come full circle back into the environment and now really trying to deliver um, environmental work at scale in the Christian church. Yeah. So that is that is my passion. That's where I'm at, and that's what I'm working on. So, so essentially, how you started out was about direct delivery of projects that had, um, it, to some extent, it was a uh, you were dealing with a place that was environmentally and socially knackered, and you used a group of individuals from a Christian point of view to say. One, we can love this land, but we can and and it, and as a consequence, people who participate in it, they are being loved and they're being loving, and people who then visit it are being loved. Yeah. Okay. So is I think that what I think all the time, or what? What does that mm. mean look like now? Because obviously, you must have diversified. Yeah, I mean, we 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 have diversified, and um, a lot of our a lot of our work now, uh, and we're split into three effective areas. The first is eco church. So many of your listeners will be familiar with uh, what is effectively the Duke of Award Duke of Edinburgh Award scheme for environment. It's getting churches to think in terms of going green, putting the planet first, and it's a bronze, silver, and gold award scheme. Um, we've gone from 500 registered churches to over six and a half thousand wow. registered churches in a space of a very few years, yeah. um, which creates its own challenges. Mm-hmm. And not all of those are yet award-winning churches, but that is the general direction of travel. Mm. Uh, churches go to bronze and then think, oh, this is really exciting. I, I'd like to become a gold award-winning church for greening our church and greening our local community. Mm. So that's part of our work. Second part of our work is our practical conservation. So it's, first of all, demonstrating best practice ourselves. We have our own urban reserve uh, near Brentford in West London. It's, it's, it's in Southall, on sort of Southall Norwood Green area. I know Southall. Um, yeah. And it was a heroin dealing den, which in the last few years we've transformed for, for community and for nature. Wow. And we've got a, a wetland wildlife site as well on the Suffolk Essex border, which we're we're looking after and managing. Wow. Um, 
And the idea behind that is if we're going to encourage others to take action for nature on behalf of Christ, then mm-hmm. we've got to be able to make mistakes ourselves and say, whatever you do, don't do that. It's all about mistakes. But right, right, the, right, right. we need to be able to show that we are walking in a, an attitude of servanthood uh, first, learning from mistakes, learning from what it means to operate in a world in which climate change is a significant problem mm. uh, for nature. And trialing things out being prepared to experiment being brave and courageous Mm -hmm. so to that end we also then run partners in action where we have 39 partner organizations up and down the uk who are christian landowners and land managers who have a passion for the planet and it's Mm -hmm. everything from hillfield frari in dorset to litchfield Mm -hmm. cathedral uh to large farm estates in the midlands uh, to projects in the Highlands of Scotland, Corrimila in Northern Ireland, Northumbria community near Lindisfarne. Yeah. So scattered around the UK are these expressions of wanting to care for the planet amongst outdoor bound centres, conference centres, retreat centres, churches and cathedrals. Yes. Um, yes. But where the common denominator is a desire to be a practical expression of hope for the season that we're in. Goodness, man. And if finally, we, we work on a thing called Wild Christian, which is a social media um, program. So it's, it is purely online uh-huh. um, and it's growing very rapidly, but it provides top tips for people to come up with great ideas and share great ideas about how to look after, manage and rescue the planet. So that's a big mm-hmm. chunk of our new work. And because it's online, it's attracting a younger audience, which is also fantastic. I love that. So that's kind of potted summary of our main programs and, and work. Yeah. And needless to say, a couple of years ago, I had a head full of hair, which uh, due to the uh, extent of the work involved, it all fell out. I was, <laughs> was going to say, it kind of happened just very quickly. Goodness, no. <laughs> no, it didn't. um so i'm i'm a uh my my listeners they they know that i'm a person who loves um, behavior change loves um how communities transform and how they are enhanced and i'm a magpie i'm a person who picks up bits and pieces etc and um i'm reading a book and i'm actually rereading this book called atomic habits which is those small steps that sometimes uh, I think there's a phrase where it says you don't see the difference until 80% of it. And then when you hit that 81, then there's that transformation. It's that tipping point, etc. Wild habits is very interesting because it starts with a culture. It starts with a, um, in, a in atomic um, habits. It talks about do we, do we, uh, uh, it, there's this, there's this equation or let's sequencing do we have a goal and then we use the process and then defines who we are? Or do we start from who we are, then use a process and then we have the goal? And I think the thing that's interesting when we start with shifting our identity of who we are, which is one that we're seasoned for a purpose. And part of that purpose is to be people who love the land, but also l- love people as well. Our processes constantly update and the goals keep on keep on happening. Yeah. Something like I love the fact that you have this thing where y- y- you 
you you yourselves become a sandbox where you learn things not to do within the wild people expression which is really the starting point before anyone becomes gets involved in other bits and pieces because it does start with a somebody or a group of somebodies how do you give them let's say those stepping stones of next step to become uh, people who are um, better stewards of the land that we that we walk upon what do you give advice for yeah. So I think the starting point is to remember that a lot of churches where they started on the journey is we're actually reasonably good at looking after people. What we're not good collectively is looking after land and people. In other words, we segregate and the church has been extremely good in the last century at segregating. So separating the soil from people. Yeah. It is fascinating that in, in Genesis, just the name Adam comes from Adamah, meaning of the earth, a soil child. Yeah. And yet we, as people who are meant to be wedded to the soil and to land as believers, yeah. have been some of the most separated people on the planet. Mm. So the starting point for me in any conversation is a reminder of who we are we are people of the earth we're people of the soil we're people who will return to the soil albeit that we then what is followed up is resurrection power mm, mm. but actually part of that resurrection power is about what can we do here and now to better connect land and people and practical faith yeah. and the the ex deepest expression of love is to see the cross of Christ deeply rooted in deep soil, a literally physical deep soil. Mm. Um, we often think of the cross as, a, as a, a metaphor for change in people, but actually I also see it as a metaphor for change in the land. Yeah. But actually we yeah. do these things together, not yeah. separate. Yeah. And I think as we start to build those bridges and enable particularly the more evangelical church congregations yeah to see that the soil the land can be at the heart of worship at the heart of ministry and at the heart of revival then we're finding a much broader church is embracing this as a as a key concept for what is to come so why don't you give me a few examples of then what that looks like with if the cross is going deeper we are we we've come to a point of like yep i'm made of the soil therefore i should love the soil love the land i'm made of the land so i need to love the land we all have to uh, um recycling's a thing we do we, you know that's now part of here in the uk it's part of policy isn't it we we have a green bin and a black bin when we go out into the into the, our towns and cities we'll see bins where um you, you can put things certain items into certain bins we're told to um turn the temperature down a wee bit turn off the lights wear more clothes so that we're not wasting heat and so and so forth is that enough or what more can we do okay so the starting point is it's amazing how so many interviews one of the first questions i often get asked is what more can we do for me the starting point is what more can we be 
not what more can we do very good and by by that i'll give you a kind of example a few days ago i was with my colleague and we were visiting um the coleman's farm in north hampshire this is this is the coleman's mustard dynasty so people will okay. familiar with the coleman's is a familiar household name they've, they've since sold their business but they are doing some amazing things on the land and the estate that they run mm. but one area they've really diversified so they put some lovely shepherd's huts in a incredible field of wildflowers that are alive with insects and wildlife and they have made it a space where nature is put first but where you have permission to tread and so you wake up in the morning in the shepherd hut surrounded by bird song and the buzz of of bees yeah. and at one level you say well how is that making a significant practical difference uh-huh. and the answer is just simply this obviously it's providing pollination for the bees and food source for the birds and it's enriching the soil beneath the flowers in the way they're managing it with no-till systems and so on uh-huh. but its biggest benefit is to the people who are walking the site sleeping in the shepherd's huts and getting renewed and restored because actually many of them have been told you're not doing enough the bins are not enough the electricity supply is not enough mm. changing your car for an electric car it's not enough moving a red away from red meat it's not enough yeah. understanding the theology of caring for christian for the land and for creation care it's not enough yeah but being in a space where you're reminded who it is we worship and why we worship and often people find that their deepest encounters in the broken season and the broken world we're currently in is when you are in an enriched landscape that's full of birdsong and that gives a hint of Eden it gives a hint of what could be mm-hmm. and it gives a hint of what will be and it's into that space in which people sense I can be restored. There is hope. My little may not be enough, but it is something better than nothing. And it changes the way people think. It changes the way people believe, and it changes the way people worship. I love that. I um, I remember hearing uh, Mr. Bell, or as I jokingly, Rabbi Bell, um, mm. with, uh, who um, Rob Bell. He talked about. Um, talked about in uh in genesis when adam and eve were told go and look after the land and i think the the hebrew word was dasha which basically means go and manage it mm. go and go and go and be um people who do the weeding get things organized so if you're an administrator you're doing dasha because you're organizing yeah. you know but but this is a really interesting component here because what you are talking about is that we're not doing it to we're not doing it for but we're doing it with god yeah because ultimately it's 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 funny isn't it god is everywhere he's in he's in those he's in the rocks he's in the birds you know we don't talk about that i always found that a bit odd sometimes um and I'm, you know, I still haven't got my head around it. But people have um, healing services for their animals. <laughs> yes, you know, and it's like okay, 
Now, clearly, I'm not an animal person. You know, I've never really, we've not had pets in our life and so and so forth. But we also know that um, God is revealing himself in all of creation. And creation is yearning for the revelation of 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 the sons of god i think is the is the passage but the reason that they're probably yearning is basically saying please please love us please care Mm. for us but what you're saying is is actually an act of worship to god not to these people but it's doing it with god yeah yeah. I think actually, I mean, I was just looking at, I was out yesterday and I don't know whether for those who've got a video, I'm holding up a, a daffodil and yeah. um, it is deliberately a daffodil that has just passed its best and it's just coming to the end of its life. But I was out yesterday looking at the daffodils and one of the things that you notice as a conservationist is how flowers track the sun. When the sun isn't shining, they bow their heads. And it fascinates me that if you believe in a God who we worship, then one of the fears of the more evangelical church, in some instances, is the danger of worshipping nature. But it's such a it's it's so, so wrong, because actually, if you look at worship, you look at the daffodils, they are active actively worshipping god on a daily basis their ability to turn to the light now scientifically they're just turning towards the sun but actually i don't i've I've never seen it like that i've always seen it that the whole of creation turns to the light on a 24-hour basis and they Mm. close and they bow their heads when it turns dark and so we are we are in a creation that yes as the New Testament rightly says, is groaning for liberation. Mm. But on a daily basis, it still quietly works its way through the day by facing the light and saying, I still worship God. And that's a very powerful message for us when we're going through dark times, yeah. is absolutely to remember that creation, despite its groaning, and in some cases screaming for liberation, yeah. It is still worshipping its creator, and it's a reminder of our responsibility both to to creation and also to our ongoing worship of God. What makes what what do you think is um, for you personally? And you see, uh, what do you think are the biggest barriers? You think to people? I'm just I'm mindful that I'm that we don't that you're talking about a lifestyle. And there are people that sometimes just do this as a fad. How do you cultivate those habits so that it becomes much more fluid and natural for us? So I think the starting point is that that people will fall into a number of categories. And I I hate to categorise, but that's the reality. There are a group of people within the church who will never have an interest or a passion for the things that we are talking about today. Uh In other words, their, their concept is if we're talking about salvation, our focus has to be on getting people saved full Uh stop, no extras. And the social gospel aspects are just routes to conversion. 
Yeah. Uh, now, I would argue that's a bit like working in a in a car garage and trying to sell cars. Um, it is yeah. very linear. Um, it delivers some results, but is it transforming the world? It's a good one to debate. No, it ain't. There's Let's a, just be quite honest with you. All right. <laughs> the second group, I'm being diplomatic. The second group, which is by far the largest group, but is shrinking, and I'll explain mm -hmm. why, are those who say, I feel like I'm doing some things. It's very hard to change uh, my habits. And it's very hard to get excited about it. What on earth do I do? Mm. Now, for them, there's particular solutions or particular suggestions. I'll come back to that. The third group, which is a growing group, is I recognize that we are potentially in the end times. Mm -hmm. We are at two minutes to midnight. Things are unbelievably tough for many of us. We mm. can now feel that spiritual toughness, uh, the fact that we are weeping for a broken world on so, so many levels. Mm -hmm. I want to be more radical in my response. What does radical look like in this season? Mm -hmm. And how can I make sure it sticks? So I think Arosha encountering more and more people shifting into that group. The lukewarm church, I think, will die in the next 10 years as people will either give up on their faith or find that they have absolutely no alternative but to cling to the cross. Because I think for what is ahead over the next 10, 15, 20 years and more will really sift people. You will either be drawn to the cross through no alternative or you'll fall away because you can't cope with the heat, literally and metaphorically. There's a so really that, interesting. That is where here. I sense we're going. Yeah. And so into that space. And the second part of your question was how on earth do you reach you know that for the first second group the first group who are in a kind of denial state we do nothing with you're yep. not going to change them by arguing if you've got a climate denier they will be always a climate denier unless they have a, a sore on the road to damascus experience we work with the other two groups primarily those who want to change by degrees and slowly and those who are ready for a radical transformation yeah yeah that there's the thing of course so within um i i have a uh, i have the ability to to be a future future thinker and see the big things i'm not a great fan of the details so much as my frustration of my wife <laughs> <laughs> but that's okay she, she's all over the details so we compensate one another if we were to forecast if we are a group of people that have been told to manage this world and we don't all right keep the lights on we turn the heat on full whack we throw us uh, throw away our stuff wherever we like okay um and we are we are a privileged society here in in england part of the top whatever it is top one percent or whatever it is etc where we can basically almost do as we please but we know that the consequences are our rubbish gets shipped off to another country we know that the climate will have an impact in how, how crops are being grown which then has an impact in where people live in places of africa let's say 
we then know that if people's if they're the impact on their climate means that they can't live where they are they want to move somewhere else which has an impact on somebody else unfortunately the next thing to that is there is social upheaval which then we know means that there's mass migration that's widely accepted i think what what's a bit like people who vote or don't vote when people don't vote they think that what they do doesn't count but the reality is it does mm. in the same way if we start doing those small things looking after our you know turning off the light etc etc and we create it in a place where it is part of our ourselves the outputs should be by god's grace that we see less people being impacted a thousand miles away two thousand miles away where in actual fact they can still grow their crops or they can still live where they lived where they, where they lived for for centuries and centuries and and from those optics becoming environmentally caring and with compassion and active isn't just because it's the vogue thing to do it is an act of spiritual worship both you know when jesus said love your neighbor as yourself well ultimately i mean i don't know about you but where i live i have seen so many people who have migrated from you know who, who are refugees here in the in england and they are people who have moved from their homes for a variety of reasons but a lot of it is, comes down to um where i live i'm not happy i don't feel safe and unfortunately the climate inadvertently has been involved in it in one way or another mm -hmm. don't really talk about that do we no uh, and that, that the reality is things are things are shifting fast and we often think of it as being you know, migration as an example as a problem that is somewhere else but yeah, it is already yeah. visiting our shores and we haven't seen the half of it yeah but i guess coming back to the kind of the importance of making a difference and a, a little story to share with your listeners which i hope will inspire yeah i was speaking at salisbury cathedral some months ago and uh we got to a point in the service where i was invited to take questions from the floor yeah. And a lady right at the back of the cathedral said, um, I haven't got a question for you. I've got an observation. She said, you've talked about the importance of making significant lifestyle changes. Mm. So let me tell you what I can't do. First of all, you said, uh, turn your heating down. Well, I'm in a council block where the, the heating control is actually outside of my, my flat's control. It's a generic one for the block. So I don't have any control over that or who the supplier is. Then you said drive less. I don't have a car. I, I, I walk or use public transport. Yeah. Then you said plant your own food in your garden. Well, I don't have a garden, so yeah. I, I, I can't plant my own food. Then you said buy fairly traded and organic. But, well, I can't go beyond shopping at Aldi's because I don't have the income to pay extra for my milk or my meat or whatever it may be. Yes. Then you said re-insulate your property, but I don't have control over the insulation of my property. Yeah. So actually, everything you have suggested I do has just depressed me more because yeah. it's completely ineffectual. 
Yeah. Would you mind and care to respond to my challenge? Now, there was an audible intake of breath, and it was a bit like uh, Wimbledon, where everyone then looked back at me expecting some enormous revelation. Uh, And the reality was she had had pulled the ace out of her sleeve, and I didn't know how to answer. Yeah. Um, And I was hinting that at the beginning, wasn't I, about making sure we don't come with all the answers, particularly when it's something like this, you know, to being prepared to say, I don't know. So I did. I said, actually, I really don't know how to answer you. Um, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to take it home with me tonight. And I'm going to pray about it. And if I come up with anything that I think is vaguely sensible, let's exchange numbers and we can talk. Yeah. I went home that night and there was a disappointment in the audience, actually, that I didn't come up oh, with yeah. a sensible answer, but I, I couldn't <laughs> find one. And that night, the only thing that came to my mind was go to Aldi's and buy a tomato plant. And I happened to know that Aldi was selling little tomato plants at the time. Cool. So I phoned her up and said, made this a suggestion. And she laughed at me and she said, is that really the best you can come up with? Good I said, well, all I could think of was that you grow the plant, stick it on your windowsill. And um, if it produces a flower, you know, some tomatoes are self-pollinating. These ones aren't. So it's going to rely on a it's going to rely on a bee or another insect to pollinate it. If you're lucky, you might produce a few tomatoes. Yeah. So she said, listen, if it makes any difference to my life, I shall call you back. But don't expect a call from me. And that was yeah. the end of the call. Three months later, I got a call from her. Yeah. And she said, I've got a, a little story to tell you. And she said, we bought plant tomato plant from Aldi. And my five-year-old son and I spent three months looking after it. It produced a single flower. That flower produced a single fruit. The fruit grew to the size of a 50 pence piece. We picked that tomato. And at which point she started to cry. And she said, we cut it in two. We thanked Jesus for that tomato. And it was the most beautiful tasting tomato either of us had ever tasted. And I wanted to tell you what's happened now is I now have a windowsill that is filled with tomato plants. And I see them as an act of praise to God and an act of resilience and resistance. And that moved me incredibly because I thought there from a tiny, tiny plant came a heart that was transformed by a single tomato where they actually feel that they now can make a difference and they're producing tomatoes to eat on a scale that they didn't imagine was possible. Yeah. And I think it's a reminder that these small acts that so many of us feel trapped by are often a conduit to something greater, bigger and more majestic. Yes. And so it's not about um, constantly striving for more. It's, It's acknowledging that Let's do what we can with what is in front of us. And if we're faithful with those small things, we're faithful with the slightly shallower soil. As we cultivate, that soil becomes deeper and deeper and deeper and richer and richer and richer. And eventually what it yields is a crop that's tenfold, a hundredfold. And suddenly there is hope. And suddenly that hope transforms not only your own lives but the lives of those around you suddenly you're giving away not just hoarding for yourself because you've got bounty because of your listening 
at the foot of the cross. Yeah, yeah. The um, you're 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 six and a half thousand partners. Eco churches, yeah. yeah. They're not actually your partners. They potentially should be your partners to the communities that they're connected to. Yeah, churches, I mean, yeah. churches have uh, land, don't they? They have, yes. Yes. Um, where they could grow stuff. You know, I, I with when I was, I was working with um one church, and she said, "Yeah, we can start a garden club." Mm-hmm. And she said, "One, it's going to build our whole uh, build. It's a basically it's about building resilience and well-being and wholeness." But also, we know that there's an economic, uh, there's an ecological component to this as well, and we're building community, building relationships, which in itself then starts to open up uh, doors to hope and life and stuff like that. Yeah, so I think there are two areas where that is beginning to work. I think within Eco Church, we've got gold award-winning churches that are doing just that. In many cases, they are. Uh, developing sustainable food, developing sustainable landscapes, developing landscapes that are climate resilient, developing landscapes that are beautiful for nature and really encouraging for people's mental and physical health. Yeah. Um, but our Partners in Action Scheme, which is different to Eco Church, enable cathedral communities, conference centres, retreat centres and so on to go deeper and explore deeper and at a larger scale. And so we are seeing people changing their whole way of operating uh, in order to transform landscapes for people, for nature and for Christ. Mm. That to me is enormously inspiring. I love it. And sometimes it's at a tiny scale. You know, some of our most powerful partners are places like Aldermore Community Farm in inner city Southampton on half an acre of ground that produce food for the local community for free. And a little shop that gives a, gives a, in very low prices amazing products to the local community. And where people who are broken come and look after the land, look after the soil, look after nature. Come on. And find themselves spiritually renewed, spiritually restored. So it doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have no. to be a thousand acres. No, that's right. Sure, that can make a difference. But some of the most powerful voices are on some of the smallest sites. It's yeah. mustard seed analogy. You know, it. you start with something small and it, it blossoms, it flourishes, it grows and it produces fruit that you could never imagine was possible. Mm, mm. I love that. Andy, it's just been so, so helpful, so practical, so, so just very attainable. Um, I know lots of people will be going, OK, how, how do I get in touch? How do, how do I how do I get involved in a Russia, whether as an individual or as a church? What's the best way? So the starting point is to go on to our website. So go on to www.arosha.org.uk. That enables you to have a look at the programs. Mm. Uh, and so there may be individuals who want to get involved and can look at Wild Christian. There may be churches who want to get involved, and it's an opportunity to look at churches and the yeah. eco-church platform. And there may be organisations out there, charities, Christian groups, who are thinking, I want to take it one step further and transform my land for Christ and for the community uh, and so that creation can sing again in this season. And then Partners in Action is there for you. So these are resources that effectively don't physically cost. We don't charge for the services. 
maybe we should um but that's a different question but they are opportunities for people to engage with and be inspired by and encouraged by and there are then there there are email addresses on there for of different individuals you can contact to ask questions and get engaged brilliant andy thank you so much it's been an absolute pleasure so just to say thank you so much for tuning in to this episode and uh, if you want to catch up with any other episodes do go on to the anchor seasoned four um, portal and uh, you'll see all of the other episodes that i've done also check us out on obviously itunes through uh, apple and with your android and all of your other different places like spotify that you get to listen to your podcasts <laughs> equally if you are someone who uses twitter um we are seasoned for life and um we have posts of all sorts there and then this is the next new thing if you're really interested why don't you come and join our learning community it's on facebook it's a group of people who are asking questions about what does it look like to be seasoned for purpose anyway thanks again for listening and uh, we'll look forward to connecting with you next time <laughs>